Will you join me in prayer? Send your spirit among us, O God, as we meditate on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you prepare our minds to hear your word, that you move in our hearts to accept the things that we hear, that you purify our will to obey and joy in faith. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, today is the second Sunday in Lent, this 40-day period focusing on the death and resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. It's a season that actually really invites us to make our hearts ready for remembering the suffering that Jesus went through on behalf of the world. And so during Lent, we have a couple different traditions. We've got the one that most people are familiar with, giving things up for Lent. All right, so let's find out how we're doing. One... Did anyone choose to give anything up for Lent? I raise a hand. Anyone that chose to give something up? All right, so how are we doing? The few that did, anyone want to share? All right, so Eric, you're doing well? Yeah, we're doing all right. All right, good. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Perfect. Oh, that's good. Welcome, welcome to Light Shining. <laughs> yeah. I gave up Facebook. All right. Oh. And how's that going? I do not know what everybody looked like at the gala. <laughs> yeah. Check out MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it's all. <laughs> right. So easy. Oh, any other? Any other thoughts? All right. Good. So we're off to a pretty good start. Um, it's not too late. So look, listen. Here's the thing. If you didn't give something up for Lent and you wanted to participate by doing that, it gets easier every week. It's now a week shorter, all right? So the longer you wait, the easier it gets. But it's not too late, all right? But here's the thing. Um, the historical church also taught, and this is really important, this is the thing that most people don't do anymore, but it's kind of, I think it's kind of making a comeback. The ancient church actually taught that during Lent we should also not only give things up, but we should take things on. Right? And so uh, the ancient church taught that we should be taking on things like fasting and prayer and giving to the poor um, and stuff like that. So we've always, at this church for the last three years, we've always kind of come up with a Lenten challenge, right? And so back there, you're going to see this overwhelmingly beautiful table. It's just, it's incredible. So we have, I mean, we have a lot of people to thank for it, but especially today, Linda's made some handmade blankets, right? You'll see those on the table. Um, some, yeah, some kid who gets that table is just going to be, can you imagine getting this? So these are going to be going to, uh, to kids getting taken from their homes and entering into foster care. So can you imagine if you were ripped out of your home in the middle of the night and you're a little kid and you got nothing and you're going to get one of these kits and you open it up and that one of those blankets is in there. It just, so anyway, sorry, I know you don't like attention. <laughs> but you deserve it. Uh, you deserve it for this. This is really cool. So uh, that's our commitment together. That's our collective commitment. And so you can take, there's little half sheets of paper, uh, things that we can contribute to putting these kits together for these kids. And there's a jar too. If you'd like to just contribute some money, you could do that uh, as well. And so that's what we're doing uh, to be uh, connected better to some kids in our community who really, who really need it. So uh, anyway, I would encourage you to consider giving something up. It just gets easier and take something on, and we help you with that, so you can take that on with us, which is really cool. Well, today we're looking at uh, this image or picture. So Jesus often gives us kind of images, pictures that engage our hearts, that engage 
our minds. And today's image is birth, or more specifically, new birth, right? And so I remember uh, the birth of my daughters really well, but like you, I don't remember a single thing about my own birth, nothing, right? <laughs> birth just happens to us all. We did nothing to bring it about. The baby does nothing, but the mother does everything, right? The mother labors, the mother bears the weight, the mother suffers, the mother bleeds, the mother gives birth. Now, I don't need a birth certificate to prove to you that I was born. The proof of my birth is the fact that I'm standing right here in front of you. And so like our first birth, our new birth that we're going to talk about today has really very little to do with us, but it has everything to do with God, who labored, who bore the weight, who suffered, who bled, and who offers this new Life. And so hear these words from John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> the Judaism of Jesus' day had a great deal to do with being born into the right family. To be able to call yourself a child of Abraham. And so Nicodemus and Jesus, they both have this birth covered. Nicodemus was a spiritual leader, this morally righteous man, a Pharisee, a well-respected teacher of the law, and probably a member of the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin. He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's smart, he's a man who, on the surface, you would look at him and you would say, this is a guy that has everything. And then Jesus would say, almost everything. Jesus replies to this highly respected religious seeker. And he says to him that he still needs something. He needs to be born from above. 
Nicodemus is, of course, shocked. Not only has he already been born, but he's been born into the right family. He's been born into the family of Israel, the family of God. And so what an absurd request this would uh, have been that he need to be born a second time. Jesus basically is telling Nicodemus that everything that he's ever done up until this point in his life means nothing. Because he's no better off than anybody else. In Jesus, God is starting a new family. And when he says that this ordinary birth isn't enough, being born into the right family or the right people group isn't enough. He's saying that whoever wants to experience life, whoever wants to see the kingdom of God, must undergo the most radical change imaginable and experience a completely new beginning. And so the radical nature of this is that Jesus isn't asking for the new and improved Nicodemus. He tells him that he needs a whole new origin. And so here's the kind of stuff that we learn about this radical new life. First, that Nicodemus can't earn it on his own. Nicodemus is clearly seeking after Jesus. He has these questions. And we see that Jesus doesn't give him a laundry list of things that he has to accomplish in order to have this life that Jesus speaks about. I find it interesting, this is what we often do in the church. We say, you know, go to church every Sunday, read your Bible, pray every day, um, and these are all really good things. But this isn't what Jesus tells him to do. The new birth isn't about what Nicodemus can earn on his own. This new birth is a gift that's given by God. And so I was thinking about the wind that we heard about in this passage. Anytime, I don't know about you, but wind is like my least favorite weather form. Um, they're mysterious. We don't know where they're coming from or where they're going, but we all feel the effects of the wind. It ruins our surfing power. Exactly. This, is the biggest, this is my biggest problem with it. I didn't want to admit it, but he's up here laughing, so I might as well just own it. All right, it's true. That's the reason I don't like it. It dries out our skin. It knocks over trees. It does some damage. It ruins our waves, you know? Um, and so, too, this is what Jesus says about the Spirit of God. It blows where it wills. It can't be manipulated or controlled. It's uh, his point is really pretty simple. The new birth comes from somewhere that's beyond our reach, beyond our effort. It's something that does not come from within. And so we can't make ourselves Christians. This new birth is a gift of God. And so what we see from Nicodemus is, though, we do need to recognize our deep need for this new birth that Jesus is talking about, and Nicodemus is still really confused. I love, this is the best part of the passage, is a question. He asks, how can these things be? Well, in order to believe in any kind of divine provision, we first have to recognize that we have a need for God's good news. And so Jesus is saying that he's the only one that can bring about this new birth. He's telling Nicodemus, and really telling us, that uh, the only one that has direct access to God is Jesus. This is what he meant when he said those kind of fancy words. He said that no one has ascended, a reference to Jesus' ascension after his resurrection. And he said, or descended from heaven, a reference to the incarnation or God becoming human. And so this was the key piece of information that Nicodemus was missing. 
Nicodemus was learning that Jesus in himself was the bridge between heaven and earth, between God and humanity. And so if he was going to see the kingdom of God, if he was going to experience this new birth, then he was going to need to learn to place his trust in Jesus. And so there's this reference to one of the stranger stories in the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. And this is where Jesus really gets to his main point. He gives the scripture scholar, Nicodemus, a piece of scripture to ponder. It's this weird story of a bronze serpent that's found in Numbers chapter 22. And the story is actually really interesting. The Israelites are wandering in the desert after they were set free as slaves in Egypt. And they're wandering for a long period of time. They become hungry and thirsty and angry. And they start to grumble against Moses and against God. They're, in fact, they're so bitter that they actually say that they would like to return to slavery rather than continue in freedom. And so the complaining Israelites begin to encounter these poisonous snakes in the desert. They get bit and people are dying. And so the people then recognize their sin against God and Moses. They go to Moses and they beg him, please go to God and ask that these poisonous snakes get taken away. And so Moses goes to God, he pleads with God, saying, you know, people are dying, these snakes are killing our people, and God says something really, this is strange, right? God says, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, hold the pole up, lift it up, so that all who see this bronze snake lifted high on the pole will be healed. It's an unusual story that Jesus references. And so Nicodemus believes, he says, he says that Jesus is a teacher who's come from God. And he knows this because he's watched Jesus performing miracles that he says only God can do. And so Nicodemus had sought Jesus out by night because he wants to understand better who is this guy that can do the things that only God can do. And he's like this close to getting it. But he's missing the key element. Jesus said that he came to be lifted up like this bronze serpent in the desert. That Jesus came to be lifted up for a dying world in order that it might be healed. And so Jesus really isn't very subtle in his approach. He's telling Nicodemus, I did not come to be your teacher. I came to be your savior. And this is this paradigm shift that goes from teacher to savior that changes everything. It's this point in the story that we approach what I would call the landscape of Lent. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Son of Man, which is just a title that he liked referring to himself, that Jesus himself would be lifted up so that all who believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's a reference to Jesus' single greatest act in the gospel stories, his decision to obediently walk to the cross. And so what at first glance looks like pretty bad news, the cross is actually God's best news for the world. Even the extremely religious like Nicodemus need the cross. Those who never heard of Jesus need the cross. All who lived before us, everyone who comes behind, you and I, we desperately need the cross. This is God's salvation plan. Jesus is unfolding it right here 
in this story, for God so loved the entire cosmos is the word. Everything, every created thing, God loves. And so we learn that the source of the Son's self-giving sacrifice is God's deep love for all the things and all the people that God's made. And so the definitive act of Jesus being lifted up, being lifted high on the cross, shows that God's love isn't some uh, sentimental emotionalism. What Jesus is saying is that God's love is happening in this real, historical, one-time, unrepeatable event. And so our Reformed tradition that some of us come out of rightly teaches us that the good work of salvation is accomplished by the loving Father, by the obedient Son, and by the transforming Spirit. All of We see these things at work in this story, and like the day we were born, we have almost nothing to do with it except receive it. And so Nicodemus wonders out loud, here's that question again, how can these things be? And the answer was in fact standing right in front of him, talking to him. These things happen by Jesus, the Son of Man being lifted up on the cross. And then by you and I placing our trust that this lifted up one can bring us new life. And so, if God has done it all, what is our part? Here's here's the one thing I look at when I see and listen to this story, that at the beginning of the story, Nicodemus talks a lot. He asks a bunch of questions. He's not satisfied. He asks more questions. But by the end of the story, he doesn't say a word. And Jesus does talking. And Nicodemus starts to listen more and more. And so, there are two places that come after this, that actually speak about Nicodemus and show the transformation that this guy went through. And so they're worth noting. So in John chapter 7, a few chapters later, they actually the temple police report to the Pharisees and chief priests the things that Jesus was saying and doing. This is bad for Jesus. They're ready to arrest him. Some already want him killed. And the unlikely hero that appears to Jesus' defense is Nicodemus. Strange. He's listening. Then we find that uh, last reference to him is in John chapter 19. It's at after Jesus' crucifixion. It was none other than Nicodemus himself who, along with another guy, bought the burial spices and actually prepared Jesus' body and laid him in the tomb. This guy was listening. Big time. And so what happened that changed and transformed his life? Now, I can't prove this, but the biblical evidence is why, exactly what I think happened. I'm convinced of it. I think that there's, it's almost certain that Nicodemus witnessed the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross. And I, that's what I think. That's what I think changed everything for this guy. Jesus had told him that like Moses' bronze serpent, that he would be lifted up so that all who believed in him would have eternal life. Nicodemus was there. He saw Jesus lifted up. He witnessed the suffering. He witnessed the pain. He was standing at the foot of the cross. And that is the moment, I'm very convinced, 
that this man received this new life as a gift. And so I found this story in 1934 in Charlotte, North Carolina. There was an old-style uh, tent revival evangelistic meeting that was in progress. And on this occasion, there was this missionary guy. He had a cool name, Fowler Ham. I love the great name. Um, I just can't. Robert Douglas was, man, Fowler Ham. I need, to, I need to talk to my mom about this. They bring this guy in from Louisville, and he's preaching to these farmers. And 5,000 people were showing up to these tent meetings on this one farm. The farm owner was named Frank Graham. And night after night, this mission continued um, with a lot of people coming. They had to open up the sides of the tent. People would bring their own chairs and sit on the edges because they couldn't even fit them in listening. Um, And among the people that were there was one teenage boy who was the son of the farmer who was hosting these uh, missions that were taking place. And the kid didn't like the missions. He was kind of bored and sat on the edge until he heard the preacher read out the text. And the text was from our chapter here, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And so this text got under this kid's skin. And it made him think. And he came back the next night, but he was a little more excited the next night. He brought a friend with him. And he showed up. Preacher went through his usual dramatic manner of starting off. They always start off something like, there's a great sinner in this place tonight, you know. Um, yeah, go figure. Um, and so this kid is thinking. But the difference on this night, for some reason that he wasn't even sure of when he talked about it later, the words kind of penetrated into his soul as he was listening so much so that by the end of this guy speaking the same message that he heard every night of the week, when he asked for people that had accepted Christ to come forward, this kid was so excited that he grabbed his friend and he said, let's go. And they ran up to the front. And that was the day that Billy Graham was born from above the most successful evangelist of the 20th century. And so he spoke about it years later when he became famous. He said this about that night. He said, well, it was simple as that and as conclusive. There were no tears, no blazing voices, no gift of tongues. He said, quote, have you ever been outdoors one day when the sun suddenly breaks through the clouds? Deep inside, that's how I felt. The next day, he said, I am sure that I looked exactly the same. But to me, everything else looked different. And then he said, I was finding out for the first time the sweetness and joy of God by being truly born again. Like Nicodemus, there are, I'm sure that there are people with questions. There are people who are seeking after Jesus with these questions. And I love this passage about Nicodemus because I just think that Jesus honors this seeker, that he cares about him and honors that these questions are good and Jesus sees them as good. And so my prayer is that you would take a closer look at Jesus lifted up. That's the most important part of what he was trying to say, to take a closer look at the one who was lifted onto the cross in our place so that all who believe 
would have this full and forgiven and forever life that Jesus promises. We pray. God, you are gracious and you are good. You're also mysterious and unexplainable. And we can share in that question, how can these things be? But the one thing we are certain of, God, is your incredible love for us, for this world that you made. And that this love runs so deep that Jesus would obediently, would willingly be lifted onto the cross for us, that we might have this new life. And so I pray for all of those who are genuinely seeking after you. God, we ask that you would give them the gift of faith, the gift of life. Help us all to keep our eyes focused on the cross for what seems on the surface to be bad news is nothing short of miraculous and life-changing good news. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.